Welcome. Hi, friends. Happy New Year. We are excited to be here. Today is the first day of our annual walkthrough of the story of God. So every January, we take the time uh, to tell the Christian story from beginning to end and to dialogue about it. And this is our sixth time uh, as a church working through the story of God. And while the pandemic is forcing us to make some changes, we didn't want to postpone it uh, for a couple of reasons. First, traditions are really, really important to faith communities, especially in times of disruption. And so if we can hold on to them, we want to. There are so many shifts and changes that we have to make already as a church plant in San Francisco, and 2020 added a pandemic to that mix. And so rhythms like this really anchor us to our faith and to each other as family. Um, they're also really important for new people to experience. And so some of you are new to citizens this year. And so this is your first time joining us in the story of God. And we're really uh, grateful and excited as a family member to have this experience together. Second reason we wanted to continue to do the story of God is because one of our distinctives as a church is that we are story formed people. Uh, Christians are people of the book. We are we are Bible people. We are uh, story people. We find our identity in this ancient yet ever relevant story of creation, fall, promise, redemption, kingdom, and glory. Uh, this story tells us who we are, how to live, where hope is found, what to say, what our purpose is. Um, how much more do we need that this year when everything is so disruptive that this story is still true. It's still fundamental. It's still where we get uh, our source of power and identity. Why not spend a month every year this year also sitting with God's story, sitting inside the story from start to finish? Uh, and yet few people know this story uh, very well. Uh, we might know little pieces of it, but it's it's rare that we get to experience the story in total. And that's the third reason we do this every year. The Christian story used to be known very widely, both in the church and outside the church. It was this cultural artifact that everyone was familiar with. And so when a Christian went to share the gospel with a neighbor or a friend or a family member, at least in the West, it was more about calling people back to what they already know, to really believe these stories as true. But these days, people don't know the Bible story. And so typically, if someone asks us what Christians believe, we're probably going to give them a short answer, um, which is great. We might, we're going to talk about God and who he is and that he is good and just, that he created mankind to be in relationship with him. Um, but men and women sinned against God, abandoning their relationship, and that sin justly results in the penalty of death. But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die in their place, achieving forgiveness for them. And then Jesus rose from the grave and that we can rise with him uh, with the same power of the Holy Spirit. If we believe and repent of our sins and trust Christ, God will forgive us and give us eternal life. And that's a good and fine answer, but it, it works a lot better when you know the context of the story. If I were to just say that story and only that short answer to my neighbor, to my family member, they're going to have a lot of questions and barriers to understanding it. What is God? Who is God? What is sin? Why do I need forgiveness? What... Um, 
is any what is going on. Um, and so every year we take the time to give the long answer, where we take five weeks to work through the story. What do Christians believe from beginning to end? Um, uh, what is the bigger gospel story? Uh, for some of you, this will be a refresher, um, just a time to sit and remember stories that you've known for a little bit or for a long bit. Uh, for others, this might be your first time hearing the Bible story from beginning to end. And we hope that that's true. We want people to be here who it's their first time hearing it. We want people here who believe the entire story, and we want people here who don't believe the entire story. They maybe believe bits, or they maybe believe none of it. It's just a, it's just sort of an anthropological experience, um, like National Geographic. If that's you, welcome <laughs> to this episode. Um, that's okay. In fact, it's it's a really good thing. No matter where you're at, know that you are welcome here. Your questions and doubts are welcome. Your pushback and concern. We're going to, the, the way the story of God works is we tell a sort of episode of a story and then we respond um, with dialogue. We talk about it. And so feel free to share. As you can imagine, as a pastor, I believe this story is entirely true and good, um, even the hardest parts of it. But you're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't agree with me. Uh, if you think it's untrue, if you think some of it's ugly and wicked, like feel free to voice that. Um, in discussion, we're going to use breakout rooms uh, led by CJ and myself, and so that'll split us up into some smaller groups. Um, we wish that we could be all together, but, but breakout rooms is a great gift um, that we've been testing out in the last month and want to use for this. We might change up the format week to week if it doesn't work, so if you have feedback and how to make it like a more natural feeling, then, then please give that to us. Uh, we've set a timer on the breakout rooms. I sort of compared the last couple years, like how, how long did people talk and sort of mirrored that um, for each section. And so there'll be a timer. Unfortunately, that means you might be in the middle of something really profound and important when that timer hits and then you'll all just be thrown back into here. Um, and so I'm sorry if that happens, but um, just try to be mindful of the time and we'll try to be mindful of the time as well. Um, there's a little timer in the top corner of the screen. If you still got burning questions or comments, though, man, continue talking throughout the week. Talk with the people that are closest to you. Reach out to me. I would love to get time with you on a Zoom call or coffee or a walk in the park um, to wrestle with this story. Um, I learn and grow every year that we do this. And I do that through just experiencing the story and also through hearing other people respond and react. There are new things that sort of come out and are are striking to me that the Spirit speaks to me um, as you engage. And so I want to hear you engage. Um, of course, be respectful and kind, laugh, give grace and freedom, listen well. Um, normally, I would say feel free to get up and point you where the bathrooms are. But obviously, that's true. It's like a, it's a little bit of a longer time, but hopefully it's balanced out by discussion back and forth. But by all means, like feel lots of freedom. Um, don't take your computer into the bathroom, though. That would be really awkward. Don't that's the, you're not free to do that. Um, but well, I'm going to begin. Um, and we always begin with a question, and this is going to be an open question for a few people to answer in the big room. But if you could imagine the world the way it should be, what would it be like? If you could imagine the world the way it should be, what are some of the features of that should be world? It's like it might be a, a world free of conflict. 
free of conflict. Yeah, um, that would be fantastic. What other features of the world would there be? Everyone would have a family. Everyone would have a family. There would be no one who is alone. Uh, everything would be beautiful. Uh, I've been on two planes uh, for the past two weeks and got to see a couple of sunsets in the air and just thought, man, this is ridiculously beautiful. And just wish that lots of life, there was beauty everywhere and we could notice it. Mm. Yeah, so a combination of there being beauty in the places where there, that aren't beautiful and also that we would have eyes to see that beauty. Yeah, I would say that there's enough to go around hmm. the world and don't support resources, expense of other people not getting. Yeah, there's no one lacks for anything. Everyone would be looking to do good for all those around them. Hmm. Always. Yeah, we would we would be what is a Tim Keller talks about self forgetfulness that we would be like feel so cared for that we would attend to other people and live our lives for other people. Um, according to this story, the story of God, there was a day when the world was very much like you imagined, we imagined, and a day when it will be so again. It was a world where there was no sickness or pain or death, no pollution, poverty, war, or hatred. Everyone had a family. Everyone saw beauty everywhere. Um, and this story suggests it's possible that the world that all humans want, what we all dream of, is exactly the world that God originally created and intended for us. And it asks us to consider that maybe this same God actually has a plan and a way to set everything right again. And so let's start at the beginning of the story here, Act 1, Scene 1, Beginnings. This story is found in the Bible and is about God, a being that was before all things and created all things. He created this earth and everything on it. God alone always does what is good and right and perfect. The Bible calls him holy. Do you know what God created first? When God created the world, the angels were already there watching. The angels, the residents of heaven, were created before God created the earth and everything else, that they might watch God create and fill the earth. And when the angels saw God's power and his ability to make many different things, they sang together and shouted for joy, giving glory to God. There was one angel, though, who did not praise God. This angel was named Lucifer, which means bright morning star. And when Lucifer saw the other angels singing songs to God and shouting great things about God, he became jealous. He wanted them to do that for him instead of God. He said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars, and I will be like God. Then Lucifer went and convinced a third of the angels to follow him. He led these fallen angels, now called demons, in a rebellion against God. All rebellion against God and his ways is called sin. But God knew what Lucifer was thinking and doing because he knows everything. Because of God's perfect goodness, evil is never allowed to remain in his presence. 
So God cast Lucifer and the rebellious angels into darkness on the earth to face final punishment later. Lucifer's name was also changed. Instead of being known as the bright morning star, he was now called Satan, which means adversary. Act 1, Scene 2, First Humans. After creating angels, God created another being, one that was different than the angels, called humans. So God took the earth and prepared it as a place for humans to live. As his spirit moved over the chaotic surface of the earth, he spoke the world into existence. With his word, he made light, separating it from the darkness. He divided the oceans and the sky. He gathered the waters, revealing the dry land, growing plants, flowers, and trees, all with seeds to reproduce themselves. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars, setting the seasons in motion. He filled the seas with fish and the sky with birds and the earth with all kinds of wild animals. God put great care and creativity into all of his creation. And then he looked at everything and said, this is good. After he had prepared the earth, God said, let us make humans in our image to be like us. They will be in charge of the earth and the plants and the animals that live on it. So God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed breath into him, giving him life. This man would be called Adam, which means humanity. Later, God created the first woman from one of Adam's ribs to be a companion and helper for him. And when Adam saw her, he said, she is part of me. Her name was Eve, which means life. God joined them into a close relationship of husband and wife where they devoted themselves to each other. Although Adam and Eve were naked, they felt no shame. So God created both the man and the woman in his own image. God gave them authority over other creatures, even bringing all the animals to Adam so he could name them. God blessed the man and the woman with the ability to continue creating through having children and through cultivating the garden. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over everything on the earth. He placed the first human in a beautiful garden, a place where they had everything they needed to live the best life possible, one with freedom, rest, and joy, and where they could walk with God. In the center of the garden, God placed two special trees. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said that Adam and Eve could eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them not to eat from this tree, or they would surely die. Daily, God would come and spend time with the humans, walking with them in the cool of the day. He showed them how to live in the best possible way, a life lived close to God and under his protection, a life that is full and complete. Adam and Eve loved being with God. Now, as God looked over all of his creation, he thought, this is very good. And after creating all of this, God rested and he set aside one day of rest every week for his creation called the Sabbath day. So now we're going to split up into breakout rooms and discuss what we just heard. And so uh, it's a dialogue, not a quiz, but we might occasionally ask you to, to think about the story where you found something in the story and trying to stick closely to the narrative. I think the timer will be set for 20 minutes. We've got about 20 minutes to talk and then we'll be back here and, and keep moving. So Georgia's gonna dismiss us. First, what was God's purpose in creating the earth, the angels, and humans? 
Was it to to give him glory? So that he would all yeah. those things would show off his glory and um worship him and yeah. show who he was. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good um that's one of the things for sure. It's definitely one of his purposes in in the angels who were created to like worship in response to creation. And I think you can see that too in, in humans. What are some of the things that God did with the humans that sort of can indicate purpose a little bit? What was God's habit? Kind of echoing what um, I was saying, like some of it is the idea of like, that's who he is. He is a creator. So and like, I would say like the biggest ones I see are that he's a creator and that he exists in community. And so like his creative act would produce things that could exist in community with himself. Yeah, I think you can sort of see like at the end of creation, he walked daily with Adam and Eve. And so that indicates purpose you know that like many created people to walk with um to be in relationship with him what did he tell oh go ahead oh i just think um kind of drawing off of purpose like in the creation i think he was defining a lot so in each of the days looking at the text it says good right or mm-hmm. very good with humans so he was in the creation he was defining things that were new in the creation and then he was commenting on mm. what that meant so i think that is what we see maybe foundationally in the text at this point early early on yeah yeah he's announcing um and declaring like what what is good what is right um what should be what was god's relationship to the creation and humans um and then what's humanity's relationship to god at this point you want me to say august said that god really loved his creation Mm. Yeah, he's an affectionate creator, um, which is really great. That's a great point, August. He does, he did and does love his creation. God seems very, uh, like, permissive to me. Um, mm-hmm. One, it feels as if, like, uh, God does things just because, like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to create this garden, and then I'm going to put people in it, and then I'm going to put birds in the air, like just very like permissive and, and playful. Um, but also like in a serious light too, with the, the angels and Lucifer, you know, there's there's that line that says that God knew what Lucifer was doing. Mm-hmm. And I you would imagine that a God that could create anything could also cease that life, but allows Lucifer to get a third of the angels to go against him. Um, and so, yeah, th- that that seems interesting, and and you see that again with 
humans as well, like very permissive and like you have this garden, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to create all these things for, for like your happiness and joy, but I'm going to put one thing in there um, that you're not allowed to do. Uh, so it's, I, I just, I, I found that striking. It's funny because like just as Dash was saying, about to say permissive, I was thinking the opposite, which is that God has boundaries. Like mm-hmm. there's all these, you know, these things like Lucifer did something that led him to be cast out. Um, and so he is loving, but there's, you know, it's not just a, an endless kind of love. Yeah. So both of those, I mean, that's helpful. Like both of those things are there for sure. Um, that God is not threatened, you know, that his permissive, like he doesn't feel threatened by the, the freedom and the, the wideness of the boundaries. But then at the same time, there is, there are boundaries on display, um, for sure. Um, what is in this like humanity's relationship to each other in their relationship to the world? So we've God is a central character, but humanity is an important character too. What's their relationship? Well, the first relationship is the marriage with Adam and Eve. So it seems like their relationship to each other is immediately very um, close and sort of like they're bound together. They're not just off doing their own things. They're interconnected. Yeah. Yeah, there's intimacy, nakedness, and a lack of shame. What other, what's their relationship to the world? And they're like co-rulers. Like he put them in place to like have dominion over the creation and to be fruitful and like fill it. And technically if they're co-rulers, then their offspring would be mini Mm co-rulers. So like, that he wants to increase this image of himself to like take over the creation and like steward it in a way that that he has innately designed them to already possess. I always find it interesting that Adam and Eve, you know, when they're created they just immediately have love for one another. The way that they were created was to naturally love each other, you know? Cause like, I kind of think of Adam and Eve in a similar sense of like being on a stranded Island with some random person, you know, of the opposite sex, who's to say that you're going to love that person, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And the way that God created them, they're told that they have marriage, but they don't have context for what that was. You know, it's not like they've seen it before. They've had any experience with it, but they have seen the way that God loves them and it feels natural to them. Love and CJ bedroom. Thanks Alexa. Uh, It feels really natural for them to just be friends and be um companions and be co like what andy was saying like co um heirs over the land it's just a a natural part and that is always really incredible to me because i feel like we have to work so hard at it (laughs) yeah and in the in the story of genesis too you know you have like he like worked through all the animals you know like so there was this like 
I know these people aren't flesh of my flesh, you know, but then just like, that's the only requirement for loving Eve was that she was the same as him, um, that she came from him. Um, that's interesting. I've never thought that they didn't, they didn't have to like court, you know, or, you know, do anything like that. It was just an, an immediate affection, which is really beautiful. Um, I imagine, I can't see the timer. Can you guys see the timer? I think that kind of makes sense, though, even from where we are this far down the line of history, just because, okay, she came from Adam, and, you know, our babies that come from us, like, even though there's not necessarily an ease of caring for them, there's a natural affinity because they came from us, right? Mm -hmm. And then they reflect that in their dependency on us too. So there's this back and forth because they came from, I think. Um, I don't know. It's almost like no one taught the mamas to instinctually care for their babies in a similar way that maybe no one taught Adam and Eve to care for one another, but just because they're connected, mm -hmm. they do so instinctually maybe. Yeah. That it's really interesting. Like when you have, I mean, think about when you have, there are certain things that are, remember when we were a part of a larger church that like you didn't know everybody because there were you know a thousand people there but when you learn that somebody was a part of the same church you like had this an immediate affection and so you just like man what if the world was as it should be to where like you just saw somebody who is human and you're just like you're a human i love you <laughs> you know like that that should be our like natural immediate response to all humanity um and sometimes that like the lord calls that out of you on at this point but but not often you know um yeah sort of moving through i can't see the timer so i'm assuming that we're approaching the end of the time does anybody else see the timer yeah eight minutes oh, oh. Eight they're like minutes. rocking it guys like perfectly timed um how are the human how are humans unique from creation and from the angels uh i think like humans were made in God's image. So I feel like that's pretty unique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To where animals are not in God's image and even angels who are like powerful and glorious and great. Um, they're not in God's image. What does it mean that humans or what's the significance to you that that humans are created in God's image? I feel like there's a much like deeper connection there. Like, uh, we're more like associated as his children than his creation almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about like Jesus and when he talks about humans tamed on like the animals. Mm. Say it again. He made humans tame on like, uh. on like the animals. Mm. Yeah. That they're, that were domesticated. That's interesting. I wonder where that is found. Um, 
yeah, just that we're not instinct based, like we're, we're relational. Um, we're like God's Yeah, in. there's self-control there. Is, is, would, yeah. Also, I think, you know, thinking about if we're made in the image of God and even the angels aren't fully in God's image, um, that he is fully tame and in control. You know, it, it reflects his control nature as opposed to animals and even angels. We see that with angels, that they don't have the same level of control that humans and God do, you know, over them, their own emotion and like their personhood. Yeah, because I was thinking when you said self-control, I think self-control is, is that, and that it's also like God control. Like, like we're under the control of God, you know, to where like, you know, Bella, who is not, <laughs> like she's partially under my control, you know, to where I can't, like that's her own, her only self-control. Like left to herself, she has like no self-control whatsoever. She'll like eat everything. But if I'm there and like can instruct her, like she'll, that's where her self-control is. And the same with us, like our relationship with God um, connects that. I don't know what that noise is. Mm, we um, have <laughs> um, yeah, what other things do you feel like are unique? What's, what was unique about the creation of Adam and Eve over the creation of the other creatures and things of the universe? that Adam and Eve had God's breath. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just interesting, like, you know, plants are living and animals are living. But, and yeah, even animals are breathing, but they don't have God's breath, which is interesting. Yeah, humans were the only thing that were formed. You know, there, there was a process of creating as opposed to everything else was just created by brute word that let there be light and there was light and humans there is some attention to forming um that i feel like has two like one it gives dignity to humans from one perspective but then another sense of like it also like reminds us that like you are dust you know like that's sort of like from dust you come until dust you shall return is the you know lent lenten word that like we are very much earthy um, people. Um, there almost could be some like dignity to say, well, I was just spoken into existence. You know, like I could use that to like think I was better than the earth, but like, nope, I'm just a bunch of dirt like put together. Um, it's only God's like breath that dignifies me. Um, how is humanity different um, let's see, do I have it here? I don't know if I have the question. Um, how are Adam and Eve different from humanity today? At this point. They aren't falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they don't have the decay that we have. That's right. Yeah, they're innocent for sure. Innocent, yeah. And then what's the obvious the thing that my kids notice? What do they notice? They're naked. They're naked. <laughs> Our kids would be like, because like, what if, what if sin didn't happen? And then and I was like, we would be naked. And I was like, you're right, I guess. I don't know. That's kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah, 
they're naked, which is really, I mean, I've always just been baffled. That's such a great, I'm so glad that the Lord included that like little, I mean, what three words naked and unashamed, like included that description. It is so instructive to me to what sinlessness, um, means, um, ultimately, how do you feel just as we're like approaching the end? I always think it's like just a really good thing. How do you feel about the two trees in the center of the garden? How do you feel about God that he placed those trees there? I feel like this is where the dun-dun-dun comes into play, where it's like, okay, we see this distinction that he has been uh, patterning of defining um, good or not good that a man be alone or, you know, all this. And then we have these trees of distinction that come with instructions also. So, yeah dun 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 moment love the setup if you will yeah it's great storytelling for yeah. sure there's no good story without some conflict right and that and that satan had to come and tempt them about it like <laughs> you'd be you'd be like just like right god like leaves and he's like they wouldn't have necessarily done it themselves <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Andy's immediately figuring out, how can I make this into a cocktail? This looks delicious. <laughs> no, I'd be there too. I don't like rolls. <laughs> All right. Everybody back? Mommy. Mommy. Welcome back. Hope that was instructive and encouraging to you. I'm going to move on. This next story is very short, but very important. And so we'll do this for just a few minutes and then go back to questions. So act one, scene three, separation. This story is also from the Bible. One day, Satan, disguised as a serpent, the most clever of all the beasts in the garden, came to the woman. And he asked Eve, did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden. And Eve told him, no, we can eat from any tree in the garden. It's only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we are not allowed to eat from or even touch or we will die. The serpent said to her, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat of it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. When Eve saw how good and delicious the fruit looked and that it would make her wise, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to Adam, her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. They chose not to believe God and to believe the serpent. Instantly, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. They became filled with shame and fear. They strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover their nakedness. Toward evening, they heard God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. God called to them, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God answered, Why are you ashamed of being naked? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Adam blamed Eve. It was the woman that you gave me. She gave me some. Then God said to Eve, How could you do this? 
Eve blamed the serpent, saying, the serpent tricked me into eating the fruit. So God said to the snake, because you have done this, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. You will be the enemy of the woman and her seed. You will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. God's heart was broken because of their disobedience, but he could not ignore what they had done. God always does what is good, right, and perfect. His perfect justice required that there be consequences for rebellion. So God punished Adam and Eve by putting them out of the garden, outside of his direct care and protection, no longer following God's ways, having divorced themselves from the author and sustainer of life. They were now subject to sickness, pain, and death. Not only were Adam and Eve punished as a result of their disobedience, but all of the creation fell under a curse. The whole world became broken. Nothing remained as it was supposed to be, except God, who was still good, right, and perfect, and nothing could ever change that. God continued to love Adam and Eve. He even made clothing for them out of animal skins so they would not be ashamed of their nakedness. He still allowed them to have dominion over the earth, though now their work would be difficult. God still took care of his creation as well, never letting it ever become as bad as it could be. We're going to break up again uh, and discuss this. Historically, this has inspired a lot more conversation, and so we have 35 minutes um, to, to talk through this story. So see you in half an hour. So... In the story, why did Eve decide to eat the apple? We don't know it was an apple. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh. Trick question, right? I was totally going to say that, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's fantastic. Probably was not an apple. That's my uh, Western art bias showing up of the apple. <laughs> Okay, if what fruit, let's just for fun, funsies, since we have 35 minutes, what fruit do you think it was? Persimmon. A persimmon. An olive. Passion fruit. Passion fruit. Uh, Shepard agrees with you, Georgia, that it should be passion fruit. I mean, I feel like it should be something really delicious. So that it's extra tasty. People have different tastes. Mm -hmm. so. All right. Why did Eve decide to eat? It was delicious. It looked good. What? Why did she decide to eat the fruit? I've always wondered if it actually looked good. Mm. Like, was it a tree that looked delicious? We don't. Do we know that? Did it say that? It says it was pleasing to the eye. So if it was pleasing to the eye, then it had to be like something like. <laughs> so pleasing to the eye, and then it looked good. Um, what was the sort of defining or the the main reason that got her over the hump? I mean, the snake gave her a different narrative or, like, a different, like, an alternative to what God said. Like, 
no, it like won't hurt you. It'll just make you see. Um, so I think her decision was partly made by like, oh, okay, there's this like alternative truth that I could believe or kind of like tapped out maybe. Yeah, so you might remember that the specific phrase that it was that it looked good to the eye and then it had power to do what to make you like make one wise to make one wise and then shepherd said to make one like god so the the language says to make her wise um which i think it's always instructive like i i this is the first time i've thought like theologians have always interpreted that to like be like god because that's what satan says god knows that if you eat it you'll be like him is, did she want that or did she just like, you know what, I don't want to be like God, I just want to be like a little bit just a wise. Like that's a that's a moderated version. And so was it, I'm just curious, like was it still sin to say, no, I don't actually need to, to be like God, I just want a little bit extra. Well, he's introducing lack too. The mm-hmm. idea that like of all the things that God has given them, like, you can't trust him to provide all the things because he's obviously withheld this. Yeah. Yeah, lack that's not just, um, hey, it's not, like, I can't fly, you know, like, or Eve's like, man, I wish I could fly. You know, it's more that, like, no, God is actually withholding. He could give me this, but he's keeping it from me, um, which is a huge element. Yeah, the second, if if Eve was already created in the image of God, what is tempting about being like God? It says here uh, in the instruction, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Mm-hmm the knowledge component of good and evil so she knew good but she didn't is it implying she knew good but she didn't know evil and did they understand what he said he told them you will surely die but did they know what that meant Mm. i don't i don't know those answers there's a curiosity there kind of what andy was talking about of like the deficiency of not knowing or understanding something fully maybe that it's curious i don't know i don't know yeah yeah people have yeah wondered what does the knowledge of good and evil mean like is it like that seems like a good thing um yeah, I've um, I have heard some commentators talk about like, well, a lot of times we think about the tree as magical, you know, that it's like, um, you know, Snow White's apple, you know. I think that's that's where I like get the apples, like the Snow White, like beautiful apple that kills her. That there's the poison in it, um, but is it? It doesn't kill her. Mick puts her sleep. I'm being corrected all over the place. Um, <laughs> um, it, uh, but. Could it be that they, they're actually, you could, 
they were growing in the knowledge of good and evil by obedience. Like that they would, like it is the tool to, to grow in the knowledge of good and evil just by obeying God. And so that they would have grown in their knowledge. Um, so it's more like an object lesson than an actual like magical tree. Um, the Bible later is like pretty opposed to magic as like an idea. Like that's not a part of God's world. Um, that's a pagan idea. And so I'm curious about that. I wonder if it was like her, you know, like you were saying, Dave, that they were already slowly gaining knowledge as they walked with God and spent time with God. But this like desire to speed the process up, like was mm. that part of what's how Satan lied of like, sure, he's teaching you all this, but wouldn't it be better if you just had it all at once? And like that desire for instant gratification as opposed to waiting for it to be like instilled in them as they spent time with God. As a seven, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was like spoken like a seven. Yeah. <laughs> just give it to me all at once. I know. <laughs> um, Dave or anyone, do you know if, um, it's kind of like this word knowing is interesting to me because, uh, um, like it, it talks about with Adam and Eve, like Adam knew his wife Eve, which is different than like intellectual knowledge. Do we know if this is the word is meant to be sort of this like purely intellectual versus like something more intimate? Because it feels like that's our experience of like sin or evil is like it's inside you like you can't get it out like it's not just like oh I know what this is it's like once you know it it's immediately like like so close yeah I think it would have been pretty um the idea of like a purely intellectual knowledge is pretty foreign um until really and I think until enlightenment like scientific times and so knowledge would have been like all like holistic um i don't know if it necessarily is like has the like relational component um i think some people would say that you know like um like an epistemology that's like based in relation like you can't know anything except relationally um but it certainly wouldn't have just been like a book you know Maybe that was the fruit. The fruit was just a book. Just mm-hmm. hanging from the tree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, baby. I know. I, I just had a question. Uh-huh. And my question was, why do we even use, why does God even use the term good and evil? Mm. Mm. Like, yeah. did they, did they know what that was? Did they know what the difference was? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a great question because this is the first time in the story, even in Genesis 1 and 2 when everything was perfect, like no serpent, no Satan anywhere. Evil sort of like a disruptive word because everything's so wonderful and it's only because God said, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, before Marley was talking about how he had said that things were not good. So it's like not good that man would be alone, but that's not evil you know and so evil is something different and strong 
Um, so that's a great question. How much did Adam and Eve know? Uh, was was evil introduced um, with the fall of the angels? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The the angels would have fallen, and that would have been the beginning of evil, for sure. I mean, God might have already told them that story. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, if we think about God as a father figure and them as children, then, you know, he's teaching them, you know, um, about all the things. Um, yeah, there's a, a Jewish um, tradition, like a Jewish story. I, I never can remember the terms for them. From the, but anyway, it's a Jewish story and they have a, an event about the beginning of fire, that fire was the first thing that God taught Adam and Eve, which is just like, a, they have like a celebratory event, a day of the year. And that God, like actually, like that was his first like fatherly thing is like teaching them how to build a fire, which is cool. Um, it's totally conjecture, but it's like a fun idea of God, like being a parent, being a dad. Yeah, I feel, I feel like this chapter is, uh, reminds me a lot of, like, parents and their children. And so this this idea that, like, the knowledge of evil um, was, like, theoretically known. So, uh, you know, as, well, you know, parents growing up tell you, like, don't put your hand over a fire. Look both ways before you cross the street because X, Y, and Z might happen. Uh, don't do drugs. Like all of these statements of warning that feel like words to us because we don't know what they actually mean. Don't have like a visual of what that evil or badness looks like until we actually do it. Like we actually put our hand over the fire and then we have a new sense, new knowledge of what that actually feels and looks like in an intimate way um and and yeah and and this just feels very synonymous to that where like adam and eve didn't know what evil meant but they knew it was bad and not something that they should do um but i just you know with the encouragement of saying felt as if maybe god shouldn't have been trusted in believing that thing is bad or it might not be as bad as god's said uh it was going to be and so they you know took up the fruit and now know the knowledge of evil um something that they kind of already knew ahead of time but not to the to the same extent um and definitely did not know the ramifications of it like death again understood it like in their minds but had never experienced it that's really, yeah, I think really helpful. I think when we think about, well, like you can't know evil unless you do it. But then as you were describing like a fire, like, yeah, I mean, like a kid can learn it, the stove's hot by touching it or can learn it's hot by just like as a father, like, hey, put your hand close. Like they're going to learn in a obedient way, like that all this is really intense as opposed to just like sneaking a touch, you know? And then even it just like reminded me of, of Jesus who's like a kid growing up and like he he knew evil without ever participating in evil and so um there is a way to like grow up 
and even be in the, and in his case, obviously be in the presence of evil um, and still remain free from it. Um, thinking about God as a father that like works really well for um, this like third question. How did God respond to Eve's decision? Thinking about that father image, like what was his response to Adam and Eve's transgression? I kind of love this where they are given a repercussion for their decision. But then it ends with in the chapter that God provided for them by making them garments and clothing them. Mm -hmm. So it's twofold, I think. And I have experienced that personally, but I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that conclusion. And I also love the beginning. How does like God, like if we just like tell the story, like what is, like how does God, what's his initial response? A question. It's a question. He comes looking for them. Yeah, he comes, yeah. So first he comes looking for them. um, And you wonder if there was like, a common meeting space, you know, where like they always met by the waterfall, you know, you know, or whatever it might be next to the the lions, you know, or whatever it might be. And he came and they weren't there, like looking for them. He asks a question. Um, and that sounds like a father, like it, it sounds like a fatherly response to them. I've always wondered, like, what would it have, how would it have gone differently um, if they had responded different to his question, um, in a more repentant, like, like honest, like knew that knew that they were loved, because how do they respond? They blame it on other people. They blame it on other people. Yeah. So Adam blames it on. Eve, yeah, and he sort of blames it on God, too, because he says, the woman that you gave me, (laughs) you know, and so he, it's certainly not his fault, and then Eve, um, what does she do? Blames it on the serpent. Blames it on the serpent, Mm -hmm. Um, and the serpent doesn't get a voice, he doesn't say anything. But it's even not just blame first, like, the first thing is, like, isolation. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Like, that they hide, they, like... And obviously he knows where they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like even the fact that he asks them, it's almost like he's giving them an in to be able to like come to him. Like that immediate and just that he's always like I mean, I think we all know like how isolating sin can be. Like it makes us withdraw from others and from God and like I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want anyone to know about this. And that he's always pursuing us, even in the midst of like that immediate, um, like they just broke the world and he's still like, Hey, I'm coming to find you guys. Where are you? Like, Mm -hmm. all you got to do is come to me. And they hit anyway, you know? Yeah, I feel like it confirms, like, both the character of God and the character of Adam and Eve as sinners now. Like, you see them on, like, full display of, like, him coming in love 
and them even running from his love. Like, they still, like, don't want anything. Like, are, are fleeing it. Um, sort of thinking about the serpent, how do you, we haven't really talked about that, like, how do you feel about the serpent's presence that often is, like, a really hard, hard thing? Um, the serpent's motive, his character. I think it's jealousy the mm. serpent is super jealous that god has the position that he has and that he you know laid him out of his belly and gave him the curse yeah so I, i've always looked at him as like this really jealous creature of like how can i mess with what is god's yeah and and, and jealous not only of god but also of humans like who are yeah. created in the image of God and angels weren't created in the image of God, you know? And so he can, he can sort of attack both. Um, yeah. What else do you think about the serpent? Whenever I think of this, I always think of um, Paradise Lost, that book by John Milton. Um, I did a paper on it in college too, so, <laughs> um, but, uh, it just makes me think of like in, in Milton's book, he talks about how like Satan is this figure that's like better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, you know, mm -hmm. like that he's this very proud, like, like I will do anything to corrupt and disrupt because this you know this was taken from me so that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take this happiness this joy this perfect union this like presence of god was taken from me and i'm gonna make sure that happens to everything that's his yeah it's a destroyer you know adversary yeah, just like a vicious character. Um, I think it's interesting that Satan says, or the, the, the servants says that uh, you shall sh uh, surely die. Um, because you don't immediately see the death of, of Adam and Eve. Um, but connected to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, I did. It's just so sad. I think you see, you actually see a lot of death, like mm -hmm. the death of the relationship between Adam and Eve, the death of the relationship between um, Adam and Eve and God, the death of like their own self-identity of like, no longer can they be naked and unashamed. Uh, um, and so you, you actually see a, just, and, and even in like the punishment too of being, um, extracted from the garden and I, I, I hadn't caught this before but just how devastating like their actions has on like everything else in creation like I, that in some ways when you read that I was like wow that seems like maybe a step too far <laughs> it's like uh, like why the people that were raiding how like why does it have to affect everything else but you just see you really actually see death 
everywhere. Um, and it is just striking because that wasn't there before at all, like zero of it. Um, yeah. Um, also had this like adjacent thought of like, what did the serpent actually look like? Um, I think before I, in past times, I've had this picture of like slightly ugly looking thing, um, but Adam and Eve didn't know what ugliness looked like and just saw everything good. But what if, you know, you know, that the serpent was actually quite beautiful. And so this idea of like beauty uh, encapsulated in a lie could like destroy so much. Yeah, and it's kind of weird now that I think about it when Josh said that, that God didn't, I don't know, I guess it's a little odd to me that he didn't warn them. Like he told them about the tree, but he didn't really bring in like, and keep an eye out for the serpent who is Satan, who's like, I don't know, it's just strange that there's, they're not blindsided because they didn't know about the tree, but, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the serpent got into the garden, like, God had to, on some level, allow him into the garden, um, which feels to me a little different than just, like, the agency to choose, like, the agency to choose, plus there's this, like, evil trickster when they don't even really know what that is. Yeah, I, I, what people have wondered, though, like, did, was Eve unaware? You know, we really, you know, we don't see her sort of like, oh, I've never seen you before. Who are you? Like, there's not a, like, and so is that because she's completely innocent and sort of just like uh, Snow White again, like, traipsing through the forest, like, uh, with, like, birds, like, on her shoulders and singing and stuff? Like, or is it that, like she had been warned but isn't like is like overconfident and like it was adam's role to like till and keep and protect the garden you know and to keep people like satan out um beast it even uses the language of beasts which is sort of has like a it has an intensity to it that at least they're like dangerous um so so I don't know. So you just really don't know. Like, had God warned them or not? Um, even if he didn't, though, there is the problem of, like, they failed. So even if God trusted Adam and said, hey, I want you to do this, like, God allowed them to to fail. Kind of on that note, um, C.S. Lewis in his Space Trilogy talks about how, like, you know, it's obviously, like, analogy or allegory, but he like talks about how you know this creature comes to Adam and Eve and has been there for like pretty much like months like just planting these seeds mm. in their head of like and that we don't know the timeline of what it looks like that we don't know it was just one time and they and they failed you know like this idea that like we don't really know like how long these kind of like seductions were taking place like he could have been working on them for a while mm -hmm. no one has pointed out that this is a talking reptile <laughs> and i feel like that needs to be said that that wasn't abnormal to them apparently mm. <laughs> Interesting. and i wondered if all the animals talk 
in the garden. I've always like really, I'm like, if the serpent can talk, why can't all the animals? So maybe, yeah, it wasn't abnormal that this snake was talking. Yeah. yeah. No, C.S. Lewis, Narnia, feeling. It's true. And I mean, naturally, like, what if, and the other side is like, if the serpent was the only thing that could have talked, like, uh, should Eve not have responded with suspicion? Like, wait a minute, like, my father hasn't told me about this, you know? Um, which it would be a healthy, like, appropriate, my father loves me, like, he tells me things, he teaches me things, and this is something new. Um, and I mean, that's always, like, really interesting to, like, think, like, the disobedience happened with the, like, eating of the fruit. Um, but, but again, it's not, since it's not magic, um, necessarily, like, sin is, like, something that's, like, a seed, like Andy's talking about, that builds, you know? And so, where was Eve's, like, fatal point, you know? Like, where was the, where was the, the mortal wound? Was it at the eating, you know? Whereas before that, she could have turned back, um, you just don't know. And then I even think like too, like later the like they ate and then they didn't respond in repentance and like seeking forgiveness from their father who loves them. Um, was that the sort of point of no return? Um, what were the consequences? So we were like moving forward, the consequences of their actions. Yeah, so they were ashamed. That was like an immediate effect of their sin. Is it? That's always surprised me that like it happened so immediately. Like their eyes, it says their eyes were opened to their nakedness. So that's one of the consequences. Yeah, normally we think of eyes being opened as a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like God opened our eyes to see something and hear that's the first consequence is that their eyes were open, but it's a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Ignorance is bliss, baby. Yeah. I mean, just that's again, like trusting a father, like parents tell you some things, but then there's some things they say, you know what, like you're not ready to know that or to, to I don't want you to know that. Um, yeah, so the Enlightenment would definitely say eyes open is always a good thing, um, but it's not always good. What other consequences? What were the, like, formal consequences that God laid out? Toil. Toil. That's right. What is toil? Working. So. Working hard. Working painfully working painfully yeah so for shepherd that's all work right he's a, not just work but it's working painfully yeah with thorns that's right painful labor mm -hmm. uh, of your brow uh, um, banishment from the garden mm -hmm. the, the creatures also get swiped uh, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, technically, he gets cursed on the, his belly now, so technically he could have been upright before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of art will, like, display him as a dragon. You know, and then, you know, that uh, later New Testament refers to Satan as a dragon. And so, like, what if before he had arms? <clears throat> is, is labor mentioned at this point as one of the consequences? Have we gotten to that? Yes, yeah. Do we know? Labor. Mm-hmm. Bearing children. being painful yeah that's a big consequence that's brought so much like hard like not only is it just something like all shucks like it's painful it's like brought death and like like so much grief um to burying children well i think you know i've thought a lot about this in the past of like the reality that having bearing children probably had no like there was no pain involved we know there was no pain involved like with the labor process but like who knows how many children adam and eve could have had you know like that Mm -hmm. it would have just had no so like the idea of a period now being in effect is a huge deal because it's it's death of each month the Mm -hmm. lining of her uterus and it's like god just like death was introduced in every way in their body you know that eggs die every month instead of being fertilized Mm. it's just a crazy concept Mm -hmm. of like literally she could have just been bearing children all the time in joy with no pain Mm. and having the earth be multiplied with joyful non-sinful human you know yeah it's pretty crazy consequence yeah yeah, it's like this combination too, like as Dash was talking about, like the animals, like all those sorts of things that like, it's, there's both like judgment there, like God is cursing. Um, so he's, he's bringing judgment for sin, but then he's also like trying to hold the world together. You know, like he's still like, like, how can I keep it going for me to accomplish the, the, the sort of promise, the, the, the early gospel that's there. What What's the promise that he gives to Adam and Eve as he's cursing this, as he's cursing the serpent? So the curse of the serpent is that he'll crawl on his belly and eat the dust. So he'll be like the lowest of the low and despised. And then, and then there'll, there'll be enemies. And it says that you'll be, at enmity between the woman and her seed and he will crush your head and you will bite his heel. Um, and so again, theologians for thousands of years have, have seen that as the, they call it the proto euangelion, the like first gospel that that like, that's the beginning of the plan for like Jesus um, or at least the, the beginning outworking of that plan revelation of it. Why couldn't God overlook their disobedience? He wouldn't be a good God, a just God, if he just said, oh, oh well, and let the sin exist. Yeah. Yeah, he always does what is good and right and perfect. Yeah, there's even the, you know, we're about to leave, but then the it almost feels like a mercy when he says that they can't 
eat from the tree of life. Like he like is protecting them from an eternal existence in this place. Well, thanks so much for participating this morning. I have just a, a, a short exhortation that I'd like to, to leave you with as we think about these first stories. These three chapters of the Bible, uh, the origin story of the universe, according to Christians, are so vital for Christian faith, Christian obedience, uh, Christian worldview. They have a tremendous explanatory power. Uh, from these opening chapters, we begin to gain a theology about learning who God is, and anthropology, learning about humanity, what it means to be human, epistemology, what is knowledge, uh, a theology of vocation, what is our calling. We are challenged in our understanding of history and science and time and gender and marriage, demons, all kinds of things like show up in these short three chapters. Uh, we see the difference between sinless humanity and sinful humanity, one that is naked and unashamed and one that is hiding and accusing. Uh, we're introduced to the mercy and judgment of God, both um, simultaneously operating as he responds to Adam and Eve's sin. All, all of this and more is available to us in these stories. I've often wanted to do a sermon series through this or a Bible study, just working slowly through these chapters. There's so much there. Um, regardless, though, we would do well to know them and speak them to our neighbors and friends, to be sort of a... a a sage sort of telling stories, uh, telling these myths, um, these true myths to our friends. Uh, for us, though, this morning, I'd like to draw attention to one thing in particular that just uh, is a main theme of these stories, and it's the either or on offer in Genesis 1 to 3. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything, and it was good. Uh, he made humanity, and it was very good. And then in Genesis 3, Satan enters and tempts Eve. And we learn in that story so much about the nature of temptation and that its biggest attraction is the appeal of being self-made instead of God-made. Uh, that was the question put forward to Eve. Are you satisfied with how God made you? Are you content with the limits that he's put on you? Are you content with your place, ruling the earth, having dominion, but under God's rule? Are you okay with God being God and you remaining image of God? Or do you want the knowledge of good and evil on your own terms? Uh, do you want to be, be God-made and not self-made? I was reading this past week about the origins of Satan, just inspired by this uh, time and preparation for this. And Graham Cole writes, um, one might say that as an angel, Satan was created by God, but as a fallen angel, as Satan, he is self-made. Um, what an indicting statement that is to a culture that esteems stories of being self-made, men and women. Uh, the opening chapters of Genesis are hard to interpret. What are the implications? What does it mean for faithfulness? But at the end of the day, the basic message is simple, is that humans are created by God. They are made by God, and their identity is attached to him. And to leave that identity is um, destructive and terrible and has terrible consequences. 
Uh, Will you submit to God's creation of you, God's lordship of you, God's fatherhood, God's sovereignty, his holiness, God's word, and God's son? Or will we undertake the fool's errand of creating ourselves independent of God? How's that going to go? And so when we read these stories, we take a good long look at this wretched figure of Satan tempting Eve in the garden. And we ask, do I want to be like him? Uh, we take a look, a long look at the effects of Adam and Eve's choice on their relationship with God, with each other, with the earth. And we ask, do I want to go their way? Um, think about them walking out of the Garden of Eden. I just like try to picture that. God announcing that and their experience of leaving the garden into the wilderness, into a wilderness of thorns. Um, As the Bible moves forward, we realize that all of us have sought to make ourselves independent of God. That is what sin is. And we've made ourselves out to be more like Satan than like Christ. Um, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.11 says, There is none righteous, no, not one, and that the wages of our sin, in Romans 6.23, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that promise of Christ begins in Romans 3 when he promises to send a seed of the woman, a son of Eve, to crush the head of the serpent. We have all, as sinners, sought to make ourselves, um, which has only served to our disintegration. Um, But God has given us clothes in Christ to cover our sin. Um, In Christ, we can be remade, regenerated, redeemed, washed clean, and made unashamed again. And so as we think about this week, as we think about this year, as wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, will you let God remake you? Um, God made you and sin is unmaking you. Will you allow God to do the saving work of remaking you? Will you submit to his word and son? Um, Every week we consent to God's doing that. Um, God's saving us when we take communion. We are saying, I cannot save myself. I cannot heal myself. There is no knowledge of good and evil apart from God. I need Jesus. I need his body and his blood, his work, his spirit. And so let's pray. And then Georgia is going to lead us in communion this morning. Dear Father, we are thankful for Genesis 1 uh, through 3, um, this uh, prehistory that you revealed to Moses and who recorded it down for us. We're so thankful for it. I'm just amazed at its instructive power, um, what good storytelling it is. and also how poignant and full of meaning uh, it is. Father, I pray that you would speak to each person here in a unique and specific way that helps this story form them. Um, What part of it is the Spirit calling out um, to us? Help us to be attentive, to listen, to read the chapters. Um, throughout this week and ask for you to change us. And more than anything, I pray for all of us that we would be people willing to uh, let you be God and us be image of God, Uh, that we would let you make us and remake us, define who we are, that our identity would be found in you, and we would be willing to follow and obey you wherever you lead us. Um, Father, we love you. We're thankful for all that you do. We're thankful for Jesus, um, that this is not the end of the story. And we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.